Hey, good morning. Hey, we're in Galatians chapter 4 today, verses 1 through 7, as Brett just read. Uh, I believe in the Pew Bibles, that's page 974. So if you want to turn there, feel free to turn there in those Bibles. Or you can go New School, and you can uh, get a iPhone or a, some other smartphone, and you can Google Galatians 4, 1 through 7, and that will get you there too. What I'm going to talk to you about today will revolutionize your relationship with God. It will revolutionize your self, your relationship with yourself. And it will revolutionize your relationship with others if you get it right. See, it doesn't matter even if my sermon is the best sermon you've ever heard and I knock it out of the park. It doesn't matter. This concept itself will revolutionize your life. It will change how you see yourself. It will change how you pray. It will change what you do. It will change how you relate to your neighbors. It will change how you view yourself and your actions and everything about you if you get it right. But it's so counterintuitive that it's easy for you to miss it. So here it is. You need to act like a son. See, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are God's son. You need to start acting like it. See, Galatians 4 tells us there's two different perspectives. You can act like a slave or you can act like a son. And my question to you is, which one are you acting like? For your life, your relationship with God, yourself, and others, for that to change, you need to start acting like a son. You need to stop acting like a slave and act like you belong to God's family. See, too often we act like slaves when we should be acting like sons. And the freedom you're looking for, the freedom that Galatians promises, is found in being a son of God, clinging to the Son of God and His work on your behalf. And if, as I said, if you grasp that, if it becomes embedded in your heart, if it, be, if it just becomes like the air that you breathe, it will free you in the spirit to love God and love others. See, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you receive a new status and a new family. That's what Galatians has been telling us, that you receive a new status. That's justification. You are now justified. So Galatians 2, verse 16 says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. See, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, Paul says, your status is changed. You are now justified. Because what Jesus has done, God declares that you are righteous. No matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, no matter where you are in life, what your background has been, God declares that you are righteous. He doesn't make you righteous. That's not what justification is. That's sanctification. That's a topic for another day. But God declares that you are righteous. God says, I am happy with you because of what Jesus has done for you. So now, when you stand before God, Someday, 
He will look at you and declare, I am happy with you. You. Not because of what you did, where you've come from, what's been done to you, but what's been done for you, what my son Jesus has done for you. So not only do you receive a new status, though, you also receive a new family. And perhaps theologically, this is the most neglected idea in all of Scripture. At least currently. We're very good at focusing on the new status. You're justified. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. You're justified, but we forget that also brings you into a new family. You are adopted. And not only does God declare you righteous when you have faith in Jesus, but he also brings you into his family. So because of what the Son of God has done for you, you are now one of God's sons by faith. So Galatians 3.26 said, For in Christ Jesus you are all, what? Sons of God through faith. See, Paul uses the term sons here because he's trying to make a point. And Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York, he says, In most ancient cultures, daughters could not inherit property. Therefore, son meant legal heir, which was a status forbidden to women. But the gospel tells us that we are all sons in Christ. We are all heirs. So where in Revelation, we're all referred to as the bride of Christ, here we're all referred to as the sons of God. So when you put your trust in Jesus, God makes you one of his sons. Now, if you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you need to realize that first, we're happy you're here. But secondly, you need to be challenged that you need to give your life to Jesus today. Because right now, your status hasn't changed. God is unhappy with your sin. And your family hasn't changed either. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you're not part of God's family. You're part of the devil's family. The Bible makes that pretty clear that God brings us through Jesus out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be part of his family. He wants your status to be changed. He wants to be able to declare over you, you are righteous. I am happy with you. And he wants to bring you into his family. But Galatians, as we said, is written for Christians. Because Christians need the gospel just like anybody else does. And because even though we may be sons, it's easy for us to slip back into the mindset of slaves. So let's look at what the passage says, starting in verse 1. Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Paul's saying children, even though they're part of the family, are no different than slaves. Even though he owns everything, even though one day it will be his, he's still part of the family. He's not yet there yet, but he's under guardians and managers until a date set by his father. 
In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. See, the problem is we're sons, but we act like slaves. See, you can act like your family hasn't changed, even though it has. One thing I've always found really interesting, one major problem I often find with young couples after they get married is their inability to metaphorically leave their families and create their own. See, the Bible calls us to leave our mother and father and cling to our spouses. So the husband, oftentimes, instead of listening to his wife, listens to who? Mom. Instead of trying to make his wife happy, he tries to make mom happy. He hasn't left. Or the wife goes to dad for wisdom. The wife goes to dad to bail her out. Goes to dad to get his advice. And doesn't talk to her husband. She hasn't left. Or both husband and wife can't do anything unless they first make sure that mom and dad are cool with it. Like, I got to make sure mom and dad are going to be cool with this. I can't make this decision because it might upset them. Can't ever say, sorry, dad. Sorry, mom. Just can't make it. Not going to be able to make that thing that you think is so important. Sorry. They can't do it because they never left. So you can start a new family on paper. But if you're not acting like you're part of the new family, you're still part of the old family. And Paul's getting something similar here. He says you can act, you can, you can believe you're a son, you can be a son on paper, but you can start acting like a slave instead of a son if you're not careful. And the Galatian Christians heard Paul's gospel that Jesus lived the life they should have lived, died the death they deserved to die, and rose again from the dead so we can have eternal life with God now and forever. And they believed it. And they started living in the freedom of the Holy Spirit to love God and others. But then certain people came and they started stirring things up in their church. These agitators. And they said, yes, absolutely, you have to believe in Jesus. But you also have to keep the law that God gave to Moses. And Paul's frustrated because the Galatians have bitten into this hard. Always watch out for the people who say, yes, believe in Jesus, but also. Yes, believe in Jesus, but also you need to do this. Yes, believe in Jesus, but you also need to vote for this person. Yes, believe in Jesus, but you also need to make sure you do these things. And instead of that being progressive growth out of your life and sanctification, it becomes the entry door into the family of God. And Paul's saying, hold, hold up, time out. Time out. Why are you going backwards? You believed in Jesus. You received a new status. You, you're in a new family. Why are you going back to the old family? Why are you going back to being a slave when you're a son? And in the verses we just read, he's saying, sure, the law of Moses was important, but it was just like a nanny or a babysitter until God's people came of age. Now you need to grow up. 
It can't be about the law of Moses anymore. That was just holding the place. It was a placekeeper until Jesus came. And if you're acting like we still need the law of Moses to make God happy with us, you're going backwards, not forwards. See, in the ancient times, Tim Keller says, the process of coming of age was an important and well-defined process. See, a Roman child heir was a minor until guardians, under guardians until age 14 and was still to some, to some degree under trustees until 25. And not until then could the youth exercise complete independent control over his state. And Paul's saying, that's what the law is like. He says, but now your 25th birthday came and went, but you're acting like you still need a babysitter. You're not a son, you're a slave. But a slave to what? Well, in verse 3, Paul says you're a slave to the elementary principles of the world. And elementary principles in this context of these verses, and Paul will use the term differently later in Galatians, but here in this context, one author says it's, the elementary principles of, the, of this world are the basic religious teachings that contradict the gospel. Paul's saying, you're a slave to the basic religious teachings that contradict the gospel. See, what are, the, but what are those basic religious teachings? It's the belief that if I live a good life, good things will happen to me. If we had to boil it down, that's essentially what it's saying. If I live a good life, good things will happen to me. And Paul says that mindset, that belief contradicts the gospel. And he's saying, and I'm saying to you, there is no stronger chain around your and my neck than that belief. It's our natural state before Christ. It's our operating system. It's the air we breathe. It's the fuel in our tanks. We live so much of our lives under the belief that if I live a good life, you believe it, I believe it. If I live a good life, good things will or should happen to me. And Paul's saying to the Galatians, that's slavery. See, these agitators, Phil Reichen says, had been telling the Galatians that the law was a graduate school for the gospel. They're saying, yeah, you got the gospel, but if you want to go to graduate school, you got to believe the law of Moses, too, and do those things. But Paul insisted, Reichen says, that being under the law was actually a sign of spiritual immaturity. He says, for the Galatians to go back to the law would be like a Ph.D. repeating kindergarten to work on his alphabet. It's like Billy Madison going back to school. If they wanted to be spiritual grown-ups, they would have to advance beyond the law. And we have to advance beyond it too. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to advance beyond this. If you want to be a spiritual grown-up, you need to leave this basic belief, the belief that enslaves you behind, that if I live a good life, good things will happen to me. That is not good news. It's not the way of a son. It's the way of slavery. So what is that thing for you? What is it? What's the thing that you keep falling into believing that if you do blank, good things will happen to you. What is it? 
If I work hard, I'll get the promotion. Have you ever told yourself that? Or if I'm kind to my neighbor, they'll definitely be kind to me. Or if I love my spouse, I'm guaranteed a perfect marriage. Or maybe closer to home, if I go to church, read my Bible, pray, blessings should just fall right into my lap. Or if I follow this parenting technique, this book to the T, then I'll produce good kids. Or if I have a positive attitude, good vibes will come back to me. Have you ever told yourself that? Well, if I'm just like really positive, no matter how things go, it just will just start to fall into place and good vibes will just surround me all the time. Or maybe this one. If I send my kids to this school, they'll get this opportunity and get a scholarship to this college, and then they'll have this career and have this type of spouse and this type of kid who will then go to this school and get this opportunity and get a scholarship to this college and have this type of career and this type of spouse. All I have to do is get my kid into this school. What's that thing for you? See, we enslave ourselves to this belief that it all rests on me to make it happen. That if I want a good life, I have to do this thing. And that's contrary to the gospel, which, it all, which all rests on Jesus and not on you. But we're so uncomfortable that something doesn't require our effort, Right? We feel like we have to contribute something. Like we ain't no charity cases. We can't just have Jesus do everything for us. I got to add something to this. I have to contribute something. But that impulse is devoid of the gospel. You are a charity case. You are a sinner. You are unable to save yourself. You are enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. You can't pull yourself out. Someone needs to do it for you. And all this really does is it boils down to control. We're so obsessed with controlling outcomes and controlling our lives and controlling the lives of others that we feel like we need to contribute something so that somehow I'm in control of the process. But in terms of slavery and sonship, it's out of my control. It's not up to me. You were born a slave. I was born a slave. It wasn't up to me. Jesus died and rescued me. That wasn't up to me. And you might be here today, you might be like, well, what's, what's the big deal? Like, what's the big deal if I live a life, good things will happen to me? Like, what's the big deal if I believe that? Well, first of all, it's not true. Like, think about your experiences. For most of you, I know many of your experiences. You've been a relatively moral person, but you've been hurt and or abused. You're a good person. Bad stuff happens to you. And God doesn't justify that. God's not happy with that. Some of you have worked really hard. 
and the guy you trained gets the promotion. Happens all the time. Or some of you have followed a certain parenting technique to the T just to find out that your kids are little sinners and need a savior just like you are. Surprise! They're your kids. What did you expect? See, the basic premise of religion, Tim Keller says, that if you live a good life, things will go well for you is wrong. And how do we know that? Jesus was the most morally upright person who ever lived, yet he had a life filled with the experience of poverty, rejection, injustice, and even torture. And all religions, except Christianity, teach the same exact thing. If you do something good, or if you live a good life, if the scales are just balanced with the good, God will make sure that good things happen to you. But not only is that basic impulse not true, it also will just lead you to disappointment time and time again. Like, what happens if, for instance, you send your kids to that school and they get that opportunity and they get scholarship to that college, but they flunk out? Or worse, what if they meet someone at that college that you can't stand and they end up getting married to them? You'll be disappointed. And maybe you can try with your next kid. Like, all right, that kid didn't work. Forget that. Scratch that kid. I'll just try with the next one. But what if that doesn't work out either? More disappointment. See, the impulse that if I do blank, good things will happen to me is a belief that can't stand under the, under the pressure of disappointment. Like, what are you going to do with that belief when it comes to disappointment time and time again? I've been doing good things, but bad things keep happening to me. That will just crush you. It will destroy you. It will just throw you further and further and further into slavery. So you could keep acting like a slave if you want. Or you could start acting like a son. And Paul picks up again in verse 4. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, right, the coming of age, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Just straight up, we need to start acting like sons. Did you notice that none of the things that Paul mentioned there were done by you? You didn't become God's sons because of something you did. It wasn't your effort at all. It was God's effort. When the fullness of time had come, Paul says in Romans 5, he says something similar. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God knew when the right time was for you to come of age. God knew when the right time was for Jesus to come. Like you and I weren't even alive in the first century, let alone doing anything that would force God to make us his sons. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, he says. God sent his son, Jesus, to become like one of us. Born of a woman, 
He became human. That's the theological term is the incarnation. And he's born under the law. Why? It says it right there. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, it's one thing to redeem a slave from somebody else and then to make him your slave. But it's a whole other thing to buy a slave so you can adopt him as your son. Like, do you understand what Jesus did for you? It wasn't like, hey, you're a slave here. Just come be a slave in my house. He says, no, you're a slave here. You get to be God's son now. See, a slave never feels at home. They never have a security that the son has. They don't have access to the master of the house like the son does. They never know where they stand. There's always this relational wall that affects how the slave acts, but not the son. Not a son. A son knows his dad owns the place and acts like it. A son can go to his dad and ask for things. A son has connection with his dad like no one else. And Jesus had that connection, a perfect connection with the father, but he left it all to, behind to come to earth to be born and to live as a slave to the elementary principles of this world to redeem slaves, you and me, so God can make us his sons. And not only that, the Holy Spirit is given to us to give us the opportunity and the ability to call God Abba, Father. Abba is this Aramaic word for the Father that combines respect and endearment. It's dear dad or dearest father, or you could even translate it daddy. But why would Paul use an Aramaic word to Greek-speaking people? Because that's exactly what Jesus calls God the Father when he cries out to him, before his death, he says, Abba, Father. See, the same relationship Jesus has with God, you and I have because of the Holy Spirit. Not I can have with God, but I do have with God. So when you pray and you cry out in your pain, in your suffering, in your want, in your need, it's as if Jesus himself is crying out to the Father. The status Jesus has, you have. And God responds to you with the same love that he has for Jesus. Do you see how this is revolutionary? Do you see how this could revolutionize your life? Earlier this week, my youngest daughter, she's four years old, jumped on the couch next to me with her mom's phone as I was on my phone. I would like to say I was doing something important. She was watching YouTube Kids. I'm pretty sure I was watching YouTube as well. But she jumped up on the couch right next to me. No space between me and her. Snuggled up right next to me and just sat there. And she just sat there for a while. She watching YouTube Kids and me wasting time on my phone. But at one point, she leaned up and she kissed me on the cheek and she said, I love you, Daddy. And just went back to watching her show. And we just sat there for a while. See, when kids need something, 
But when they want something, they never ask if their dad has enough money. They just ask. If they want to talk, they never ask if their dad's busy. They just start talking. When they scrape their knee, they never come and say, hey, Dad, just want to make sure that we've budgeted enough money for Band-Aids. Uh, do we have any Band-Aids around? And they just say, Dad, I need a Band-Aid. If they want a cookie, they don't ask, hey, how much longer till dinner? I don't want to ruin my appetite. They say, hey, can I have a cookie? See, when they need to feel comfortable or buy Dad or want to be close to him, they climb on the couch, snuggle next to him, give him a kiss and say, I love you, Daddy. See, this passage is like Paul pointing his finger through the pages and saying, you, you, you are no longer a slave, but a son, you. With all your flaws and sin, you. With all your desires and your wants, you. With all your anxieties and worry, you. With all your bumps and bruises, you. With all your failures and successes, you. No matter how this week went, you. The approval you seek, you. The hurt you carry, you. Look, I know not all of you have positive relationships with your dads, and this might be a difficult concept for you, but how much more do you need to hear the Father say, God the Father say to you, you are my son. See, no matter when your earthly father reciprocates or not, no matter what they did to you or for you, your heavenly father went to great lengths to redeem you. So you, you are no longer a slave. You are a son. So start acting like one. See yourself as a son. Why are you seeking the approval of others when you've already been approved by the father who's created the universe? Who the heck cares what anybody else thinks about you? You don't need to earn their respect. I'm not talking about an arrogant, pompous, God will judge me attitude. But who are you trying to find approval from that's never going to give it to you? You're just wasting your time. The Father's already approved you. Who or what do you fear when God's your dad? Like, why are you afraid? Where are you blaming yourself for hurt or abuse that's been done to you? If doing good things doesn't make good things happen to you, doing bad things doesn't make bad things happen to you. Stop blaming yourself. It wasn't your fault. You were hurt. You were abused. Bring that pain to dad. Climb up next to him and say, dad, I need you. And pray like a son. Too many of us are trying to pray the right way. But just hop up on dad's lap and give him a kiss and ask him for what you need. Just ask him. The kid doesn't say, 
all this flowy language, right? The Psalms are great. You can use Psalms, but if you have nothing, just be a kid. No matter how small or trivial you think it is, you can't find something in your house, ask Dad to help you. You have trouble paying a bill, ask Dad to find a way. You want something in your life to change, ask Dad to help you out, to make it happen. And treat others like a son treats others. Dad owns the place. Care for your friends, your neighbors, your neighborhood, and your workplaces. Because this is dad's house. Pick up trash when you see it. Be kind to those who aren't easy to be kind to. Be hopeful around all those people who are cynical and snarky. And dad, he's all about making the family bigger. He wants a big family to tell people about what he's done for them through their big brother, Jesus. See, you, you, you are a son. You're not a slave anymore. Don't act like a slave. Act like a son. Let me pray for you. Let me pray that God makes this clear and evident in your life and in your hearts that you truly, truly believe it. And we'll continue our service. Dad. Dad, I pray for anybody here today who just doesn't believe it. Whether for the first time or for the millionth time, they just need to be reminded that they can be your son, and they need to start acting like it. Lord, I don't mean to come down hard. I just mean to remind us, as you remind us, as Paul reminds us and points through the pages at us and says, you aren't a slave but a son. So, Dad, help us to act like it. Help us to believe it. Help us to treat others like it's true. Help us to see ourselves like it's true. Forgive us for times where we don't, for times that we believe if we do good things, good things will happen to us. We're sorry. As we come to confession, assurance of pardon, and the table, help us to remember what Jesus did for us and that we can be sons because our big brother bailed us out. We pray all this in his name. Amen.